Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show a week and a half before Christmas. Do you have your Christmas shopping done? Actually, you know, in the Wagner household, it, it's pretty much taken care of. And there is only one reason for that. I'll give you three guesses. The first two don't count. It's because Fran takes care of it. If it was left up to me, well, you know, that would be one of those scrambles. But we're we're doing very, very well with that. The question is going to be, is there going to be a white Christmas or not? All right. Let us make sense of what has happened in the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Arguments on Saturday. A decision coming out today. Bottom line is, that, okay, the bottom line, we, we won't bury the lead. Uh, the Supreme Court ha- of the state of Wisconsin has failed to stop the 10 electors, the 10 electoral college votes that Wisconsin has. They failed to stop them from going to Joe Biden. So in other words, the Trump campaign loses. I have the decision in my hands and I have read it. It's about like all, if you read all the dissents, it's about like 40-some pages. I have read it, so you don't have to let me make sense out of this. And I will tell you in the beginning, it's one of the situations where I think in one way or another, all the justices are right and all the justices are wrong. They're right about some things. They're wrong about others. Let me explain. The Trump campaign in seeking to overturn the results of the election in Wisconsin, raised essentially four arguments. They said that absent the people who voted early in-person absentee, like, like I did, maybe you did as well, you know, you walk in a week before the election, you show an ID. They argued that the people who did this in Milwaukee County and Dane County should have their votes thrown out. If you did it in any of the other 70 counties, they said that they should be counted. But they challenged Milwaukee and Dane County, which is kind of an interesting argument. Their argument was that under state law, if you want an absentee ballot, you have to fill out a separate form and give it to the clerk's office. The way the procedure in Wisconsin is, after you have properly identified and proved who you are, you get the absentee ballot, you fill it out, and on the envelope where you stuff the ballot, it has a line asking if, you know, asking to and saying that you intend to vote early vote absentee. The Trump administration was arguing you needed two The Trump campaign was arguing you needed two separate sheets of paper instead of one. That, I think, was always going nowhere. Um, The second argument they were making is that people were claiming to be indefinitely confined because of COVID-19, and they, they really weren't. So those ballots should all be thrown out. The third issue was people who returned their ballots at this democracy in the park thing in Madison that uh, that was illegal. Those ballots should be thrown out. And the fourth thing they argued was that in some cases, clerks, municipal clerks, were filling in um, information if it was known to them to on, on the back of absentee ballots that had come in. For example, if a husband had uh, witnessed a wife's signature, the husband sends it in and he signed it, but he hasn't put his full address, the clerks would put those addresses on. Okay, so those were the four arguments arguments that were there. The fundamental problem that the Trump campaign had, in my opinion, with all these claims, is that they were unable to show 
in even one case where somebody who voted by one of these different challenge procedures would not have been otherwise able to legitimately vote. For example, the person that walks into the Milwaukee City Hall a week before the election shows his or her ID, gets the ballot, and fills it out. The Trump campaign was not able to show one case where somebody who did that voted fraudulently. Similarly, they weren't able to show one case of where somebody who, again, the husband signs off on the back witnessing the wife's ballot, where the wife wouldn't have been able to vote but for this technical problem. And so that the failure to show even one example of fraud, I think, always kind of doomed the effort to throw out hundreds of thousands of otherwise legitimate ballots. Nevertheless, I think these challenges raised interesting interpretive questions of state law that would have been good to have resolved either by the legislature or, you know, before the the next election. You know, did even if you can't prove that one ballot was improper was improperly cast or fraudulently cast at, at democracy in the park. And by that, I mean that somebody who returned their absentee ballot at, at one of these Madison events, that they would not have been otherwise able to vote if instead they put a stamp on the ballot. And, and that's given the fact that they could not prove one example of fraud. It was it was very apparent to me that you were never going to get the remedy of turning out of throw overturning the election. All right. But that doesn't mean that there might not be questions. You're moving forward. Should Madison be able to conduct another democracy in the park thing? Should we change the way that you have to uh, when you show up for early person absentee voting? Do you need to change it? What exactly should the law be? So those are valid issues that are out there. In any event, the Supreme Court decides today and the three liberals joined by one conservative, Brian Hagedorn, they essentially don't get to the merits of any of these things. They say we're going to the, the Trump campaign loses because of the doctrine of latches. Let me explain what that is. It's it's kind of like the statute of limitations, but it's different. The statute of limitations says that after three years or five years or eight years or whatever, you you can't bring a claim. That's the statute. Latches is what they call an equitable doctrine that stops somebody essentially from ambushing somebody else by failing to make a legal claim in a timely manner. Let me give you an example of it. Let's say your neighbor starts building a garage and you look at it and it's on your you think it's on your property. It's close to the property line. You think it's on your property. But you like your neighbor, you get along, you know, you don't really care that much, so you let him go ahead and build the garage. Three years later, you and your neighbor get into a spat over something, and then you decide, you know what, that garage that three years ago, with my knowledge, you built, I think it's on my property, and now I'm going to sue you. Well, in that case, the, the doctrine of latches might apply. The neighbor could say, wait a second. If you thought I was on your property, you know, and you knew this three years ago, you shouldn't have waited till I built the, the garage and sat on it for three years, so you should be prevented from making your claim. That, that's kind of how it works. Another example might be, um, let's say that you're, uh, you're, you're a high school wrestler, and the other team has 
the other wrestling team has a kid that's wrestling that you think is not eligible to be on the team for whatever reasons. And you know that. Your school knows that. But you decide you're not going to raise the issue. So you go, you have the wrestling meet, you lose to the kid. Then after you've lost to the kid, your school says, wait a second, you know, that that kid wasn't able to wrestle in the first place. You know, we want to be declared the winner. That's probably a pretty good example of this. Well, the, the doctrine of latches might say, hey, you can't wait. You can't sit on this stuff when you had a chance to bring up the issue and wait until it's all over. And then after you've lost, complain about it. Well, the three liberals and one of the conservatives in the Supreme Court, they threw out the Trump campaign's case based on the doctrine of latches. They didn't get to the merits of any of these claims. What they say instead is, look, here, here's the deal. All these different things that the Trump campaign is now complaining about, like the, the absentee voting or things like that, Th- that was known beforehand. Matter of fact, the early in-person voting has been going on for, for years and years. That's how people have done it. If you thought there was a problem, you should have sued early. You could have sued before the election. You could have tried to get an injunction. You can't wait until after the election and then complain about this. That's the doctrine of latches. And that's what the three liberals and the one conservative said, you can't sit on your rights. If you wanted to raise these claims, you should have done it in a timely fashion instead of coming in now and saying, throw out you know, hundreds of thousands of ballots. That's, we're not going to do it. So that's why the Trump campaign lost. And I do think there is some merit to that position where I think the dissent, this would be the three Republican, the conservatives on the court, where they get it right is they say, they, they never come and say what the remedy should have been. They never say, for example, that, gee, if this is all true, we think the election results should be overturned. But what they say is, look, these are problems, right? There, there are legitimate issues with interpretation of state law and things that have been raised. And we think the court should decide them. Now, they don't come out and say that even if we decided that the Trump campaign was correct in raising this issue or that issue or the other issue, they don't say that we we think we take the extraordinary remedy of tossing tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of ballots out. But the dissent says we think we should address this stuff on the merits. We shouldn't duck it because the issue isn't going to go away by not deciding this now. All we've done is we've kicked the can down the road because we, we, we haven't given any sort of guidance at all. So the next time this comes up, you know, it's going to ultimately probably be back in the court because somebody is going to sue again and again, and sooner or later we're going to have to handle it. So the conservatives are saying we should handle this now. We should make a ruling. But that's, again, I sense I get is I, I don't think anybody was going to ever toss the election results out because that's such an extraordinary remedy. And, again, going back to what I said in the beginning, there's no – evidence that anybody who voted in one of these fashions actually wasn't otherwise able and entitled to vote. There's no evidence of fraud as I am using that term. You can say they didn't follow the procedure correctly, but that doesn't mean that it was an otherwise that beyond that technical mistake doesn't mean that that vote wouldn't have otherwise counted. It doesn't mean that, again, it was somebody that voted for somebody who didn't have the right to vote. And I understand some people don't like to hear that, but that's the big dis- distinction. So at least in my 
interpretation. I, I think both sides are, are right. I don't think I think the Trump campaign was wrong to sit and wait until after the election and then complain about procedures that, by the way, were in place in many cases in 2016 when, when Trump won. So I think the majority is correct there. I think the dissent is also correct in saying, you know, we shouldn't have ducked this. We should have at least addressed the merits of the issue because otherwise now there's this huge uncertainty that's out there. Maybe the legislature will try to clear it up, but that you got to get some agreement between the legislature and the governor. Good luck with that. And so the concern is these issues are going to be back in the court maybe as soon as two years ago. Why not resolve them all now? That is a legitimate point as well. So in this particular case, I have no problem with the result. I think it's it's on a legal perspective, it's the right result, how they got there and the fact that these still these issues are still out there and will be hanging fire for the next two years. I don't think that's constructive, but that is what happened today. When we come back. All right. Let's deal with the elephant in the room. Where do we go from here? I'll explain and we'll discuss. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. Okay, so the the challenges to the Wisconsin election results are are now over, um, for better or for worse. Like I say, I I actually, I think the the state Supreme Court was correct. I think the Trump campaign can't wait until after the election to raise these issues. I do think the state Supreme Court should have addressed the merits of this, though, because otherwise we're going to have this issue popping up. But the bigger picture is, regardless of what the Wisconsin Supreme Court did today, This election was over. Friday evening, the United States Supreme Court refused to hear the last-ditch challenge that Texas, 108 congressmen, and a number of other states, Republican attorneys attorneys general, had signed on um, a petition to the Supreme Court essentially asking that the election results in four swing states, including Wisconsin, be overturned. The court said that the state's did not have what's called standing. That is the, the legal position to bring a challenge. Texas couldn't sue to tell Wisconsin how Wisconsin should interpret its election law. The Supreme Court agreed, struck down the lawsuit, and as a result today, the Electoral College electors are meeting in Wisconsin. It's in Madison. I think it happened just a few minutes ago. They're casting their electoral votes for Joe Biden. Joe Biden will be inaugurated as the 46th president of the United States in January. President Trump is not happy about that. Trump supporters are undoubtedly not happy about that. But the reality is, as I said on my Twitter account, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. The fat lady has sung. It's it is over. The court challenges, which were long shots at best, have failed and they have failed spectacularly. You can be unhappy about that, but this is effectively over. So now I think the issue is where does the country Go from here. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And by that, I mean, does... Okay, there were 70-plus million people who voted for Donald Trump. Of that 70-plus million, I think the vast majority probably acknowledged that he lost fair and square. There is a segment of that, and you know we can argue about whether it's 10 million or 20 million or 50 million, I guess, people who refuse to accept that and believe that, in fact, the election was stolen. 
and that the Biden presidency is not going to be a legitimate presidency. 855-616-1620. In some respects, not unlike the arguments that Hillary Clinton made in 2016 after Donald Trump won the election, where she was talking about, oh, Russia stole the election, etc., and this isn't a legitimate president, which clearly hamstrung Donald Trump um, in his administration in trying to get off the ground. 855-616-1620. Will America accept now the fact that Joe Biden has won and that Joe Biden is the president? Or will we, for the next year, two years, three years, four years, continue to debate whether or not Joe Biden's presidency is not legitimate? And if that's the debate, is that really good for the country? 855-616-1620. We discuss in just a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Barry in Brookfield. Hi, Barry. Hi, Jeff. I enjoy your program. Thank you, sir. Um, I voted for Donald Trump both times. Uh, before that, I voted for Barack Obama. So I'm I'm all over the map. I'm kind of an independent guy. But I accept that the election's over. Uh, Donald Trump lost. I'm fine with moving on. I am just kind of really scratching my head, though, that a guy who didn't campaign teamed up with the first person who was kicked out of the Democratic primaries for having no support, that the two of those low-energy Nobody's excited other than hating Donald Trump that those two garnered 16 million more votes than Barack Obama did in 2012. I just, I don't know how to make the math work on that one, but um, well, I guess we'll wait and see. Hopefully he does well. Right. No, thank, thank, well, I, I think that that's, that's the point. And uh, for the last, I don't know, month or so, I, I know a number of people have been reaching out to me and have been saying, okay, look, you know, you, you, you can't, you, you've got to allow the court challenges to proceed. And, and I would say, okay, look, I, I'm, I, I'm looking at all this stuff, and I'm not seeing anything that's going to be the basis for overtaking the extraordinary remedy of overturning an election. But okay, that that's fine. Well, the court challenges have now all been been done. I saw the president sent out a tweet over the weekend saying, "Oh, we're just beginning to fight," or something like that. No, this is one of those deals where okay, the Packers beat the Lions, and now four hours after the game, the teams have gone home, the lights have been turned off, the few fans that were in the stands have left, they've swept up, the fat lady has sung, and now I think it's time for everybody to move on, which isn't to say for example, in Wisconsin, should we be looking at the way we conduct elections and then trying to figure out if we can do better or how should we interpret this particular statute? Doug on the east side. Doug, you're on WTMJ. Okay, a couple of things. I appreciate your comments there. I do think uh, we can all look to try to do a better job in the future. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. I, I agree with that. But there is a difference between 2016 and this time, and, and that is there was an automatic concern with Trump because he didn't win the popular vote yet he became president. So you have an automatic reaction to that that just seems unfair, whereas there's no way around it. I mean, how can we say it's so, quite so unfair when there's no doubt about the fact that Biden won the popular vote? So and I do think there is a, a different paradigm this time that, that hopefully will result in us being able to move forward. Well, thanks. Well, right. I mean, I guess I, guess I, I don't. I mean, we, we don't. That's one of the things, 
and I think the left deserves criticism for this, the, the idea that, that they try to, in a different fashion, delegitimize Trump's win in 2016. And, and, and that's, okay, so th- this election was wrong. He was never a legitimate president. And so in some respects, you know, what goes around comes around. Now, I just think that's bad for the country because I think we do a pretty good job of running elections, which isn't to say that, you know, you, you, you we, we can't do better. I mean, look at the example of after Bush Gore in Florida in 2000. Well, Florida got its act together. And, and, you know, maybe we need to figure out different ways to do things. And we've talked about that before. But the bottom line of all this for everybody, and I understand this is a message that some people don't want to hear, but the fat lady has sung. This is over. And so now we have to move on. And for people who think that President Trump was unfairly shafted out of this election, well, okay, then what you have to do is redouble your efforts and figure out ways to keep that movement going. And maybe Trump will run again in four years. I personally hope not, but maybe he'll run again in four years. Maybe he'll set himself up as a kingmaker on the Republican Party. But we have to figure out, okay, now that the fat lady is sung, where do we go from here? Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So last evening, had some very dear friends of ours, Barb and Bob, over to watch the Packers game and uh, have some pizza and stuff like that. They are from, they live in McGuanago. And, of course, Maguanago, and I hope you're sitting down for this. The If you go to Maguanago, which actually is itself a Native American name that means like home of the bear or something like that. And if you drive through Maguanago, it, it seems to me that two-thirds of the streets could be wrong, but two-thirds of the streets have what I would are, are named, they have Native American names in Maguanago. And Maguanago is, of course, the high school. And the team is the Maguanago Indians. Yes, I hope you're sitting down for that, the Maguanago Indians. And I said as they were leaving last night, because I was kind of doing a little bit of research, getting ready for the show, I said, well, just so you understand, your community may very well be back in the news today because the reports are that the Cleveland baseball team, which since 1915 has been known as the Cleveland Indians, they are preparing to announce this week that they will be dropping the Indian nickname, that they have decided that they can no longer do that because groups are offended by the nickname Indian. And I said, well, if, if it's good. And, of course, the Cleveland Indians, just like used to be the Washington Redskins, they dropped the name Redskins, so now it's like the Washington Football Club. You know, they, of course, the Indians get the have to make the decision that would be the Cleveland Indians baseball club gets to decide whether you know they want to change their nickname or not but it's clear that they are giving into pressure from outside groups so in Wisconsin i was just looking at the list now there are 31 school districts that continue to use what we will call quote unquote indian mascots uh, the two most common ones are either Indians or Chiefs. Berlin is the Indians. Bigfoot Walworth are the Chiefs. Cornell is the Chiefs. Greenwood is the Indians. Kewaskum is the Indians. Lake Holcomb is the Chieftains. Menominee Falls, well, were the Indians. Now they're going to be something different. Mishicot is the Indians. Mosinee is the Indians. Maguanago is the Indians. Uh, Osceola is the Chieftains. Um, let's see. Potosi are the Chieftains. Riverdale Muscata are the Chieftains. 
Uh, Seneca are the Indians. Um, Stockbridge are the Indians. Uh, Wyawiga, Fremont are the Indians. The Dells are the chiefs. Um, so you, you get the idea. Riverdale is the chieftains. Those are the two most common, Indians and chieftains. Then there are a handful of school districts that also, they call themselves the Warriors, and they get on the offensive list as well for calling themselves the Warriors. Uh, closest to us, Muskego are the Warriors. Ozaki, Fredonia are the Warriors, at least according to my list. Um, Wanaki are the Warriors. So you, you, you do have now... Washington has made the decision that they're going to drop the nickname Redskins. You've got the Cleveland Indians who have now decided that, okay, this was fine since 1915, but now we're going to go away with this. And um, you do have some other professional sports teams. The Braves say they're going to continue to be the Atlanta Braves. The Kansas City football team says they're going to continue to be the Chiefs. The Chicago Blackhawks say that they have no interest, they have no intention of becoming something other than the Blackhawks. But nevertheless, this is, a, this is I guess, if you're pushing for these changes because, well, people should be offended by using the team nickname Indians, this is it. Now, in federal law, reservations, Indian reservations, are known as, as Indian country. Um, the area of law that has developed around issues related to Native Americans is known as Indian law. So the, the word Indian is still out there. I guess the question to me is, all right, I understand, I guess, redskins. I understand some other terms that, you know, you might look at and say, these are intended to be offensive. But the term Indian in and of itself, is that offensive? Or should reasonable people interpret this as offensive? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Or, or looking at a community like like where Bob and Bobby live, where um, Barb and Bobby live, are my friends, you know, they, they live in McGuanago. It, it seems like every other street, if not more, ha- is named has a Native American name to it. All right, have we reached a point in twenty soon to be twenty twenty one where the term Indian is generally understood to be so offensive that we need to change that? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer would be. Again, if the Cleveland Indians decide that there's too much financial pressure and too much heat and they want to give in to the forces of political correctness, that's fine. That's a decision that they get to make. They're a private enterprise. At the same time, this idea that, okay, we should be offended by terms like, by nicknames like the Chiefs or the Warriors or the Indians. I just think that that is an overreach. 855-616-1620, we discuss next. Is it time for places like McGuanago to follow the lead of the Cleveland baseball team and 86, the Indian nickname? You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. have a great text here. Jeff, I sure hope that the movie Major League which was made here in the 80s, doesn't get permanently shelved or edited, censored because of the Cleveland name change, probably now considered inappropriate in Indians imagery and goofy humor. Well, that's right. I mean, is, is Major League now going to be essentially ostracized? Well, they're no longer the Cleveland Indians, and, and this is just this throwback. We, Walt Disney doesn't show the movie um, Song of the South based on the old Briar Rabbit and Uncle Remus tales. We, we can't do that. 
is that's a very legitimate question. Major League, will this now be banned from TV because of the Cleveland Indians? Mo in Milwaukee. Mo, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, as I told your screener, I, I've had this conversation before, and I just hate the question. I don't think it's really up to the person using any particular term to decide whether or not that term is offensive. So the example that I use were to be, if I were to walk up to you and punch you on the shoulder, whether or not I'm being playful about it, I don't get to decide whether or not it hurts you. You may have a pre-existing wound there that, that would make it hurt you more than I would perceive as the person giving the punch, for example. I'm not sure I understand your point. So your your point would be that unless you are a Native American, you have no right to decide whether the term Indians is appropriate or not? And, and I'm going to generalize it more to even away from just the term Indian. But, yes, that is my sentiment. Like, well, how do I, as a person using the term, get to decide whether or not it offends you? But, but well, of course, that first of all, you're assuming that that everybody who is a Native American is offended by that term. I mean, how do you decide that? I'm I, my, my dad was was German. My mom was all Irish. Her maiden name was Sheehan. Because I am half Irish, can I go to Notre Dame and complain that I don't like the term fighting Irish because I think it's offensive? No, and I'm not assuming that every person that is Native American is is offended by the term. Um, I think there are certain groups of people that have been more or less marginalized by society than others. For example, in this day and age, if I were to start a sports franchise, I would never dream of naming my franchise after the African-American community somehow, right? Like mm-hmm. that, I think hopefully people would know enough to say that's not wise, right? And you can go down the line of groups of people that are more or less marginalized. Like, you know, nobody has a problem with the New York Yankees, with Yankees being the name, right? Or the Dallas Cowboys. Nobody has a problem with those because those aren't generally marginalized groups, if that makes sense. Well, but what if somebody, what if Cowboys decide, if you get a collective group of Cowboys who decide that they think they are marginalized in society today, so they become offended? I, I guess the, I, I guess I challenge your basic premise that, that, that nobody gets to, unless you're a member of that group, you, you don't get to decide whether it's offensive or not. I mean, don't you have to look at intent? Um, I don't think intent matters very much at all. I think, you know, whether, like, again, going back to the analogy is like, whether or not I intend to hurt you, you may or may not be hurt, and I don't get a say in that. Well, now, it's up to us as a society to listen to the people when they say, hey, I've got a problem with this, and enough people get together and they say something about it. I think it's on us to listen to them. Well, Mo, and I, Mo, I think that's fair. But the question becomes when enough people get together, and, and who gets to make that, that decision? So, you know, you, you have some people who say, I'm offended by this. You have other people who say, you know, I don't care. And, and where do you draw the line? And see, and that's the, the other thing. Do we draw it at mascots? Well, well, why why draw it at mascots? Should we be renaming Wisconsin cities? Oh, we, we can't call this McGuanago anymore because somebody might be offended by it. No, see, I think intent does matter. And I think the, the idea is, is this, is this term being used to be derisive? Is this term being used in a disrespectful fashion? Is this term being used in a mocking fashion? And the truth is, I, I don't think anybody argues that the, the Atlanta Braves, for example, that that's not a, a, a slam on 
Um, that, that's not a slam on, on Native Americans. It's it's look as a matter of fact that the Braves are hey we're fearsome we're we're whatever. I mean it's that's what they are trying to accomplish. Same thing with the Cleveland Indians. The Cleveland Indians don't call themselves the Indians because they want to be mocked. They're they're using it as a term of respect and a positive term, just like the McGuanago Indians are or the all the the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean it, it's not like we're doing this to make fun of. Indians or chiefs or warriors, and, and for the life of me, don't even get me started on this one. I don't understand the thing with warriors. I mean, I, look, I, 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 Marquette, where I went to law school, is, is one of the most politically correct institutions around. And the idea, look, I, I understand they wanted to move away. For example, it was the Marquette Warriors for years and years. They wanted to get away from the Native American imagery that they had associated with the warriors in the 50s and 60s and early 70s. And I understood that. Why you had to drop the warriors term, though, and this is, again, that just the obsession that Marquette had with political correctness. All right, you, if you if you want to get rid of the Native American mascot, fine. Keep the nickname warriors and then find some other type of warrior. But, but they couldn't do it. Now, look, I understand this dispute has been going on for years and years, and the pendulum seems to be swinging, and you've got some of these, um, uh, even though there's a lot of money involved, you've got some of these big sports franchises who've decided it it's getting too hot, the heat is getting too hot in the kitchen, and, and we just don't want to have this fight anymore, so we will we will give in, we will change, and, and that that's all well and good, and maybe that's what it's going to have to be. It's going to have to be at some point in time where political correctness gets so extreme, but the term Indians, as used in this context, it is not used in an offensive fashion. And I guess to me, that's where the distinction is. And as to our caller Mo's point about, well, I, you know, it, it's the people who are, it refers to, they're the ones who get to make the decision. Well, I, I don't know. That's giving a lot of power into any, to anybody, because I will tell you, there are always people who are going to be out there who are going to be offended. If you've got, um, let's see, um, you know, women, who object to the, the Tennessee Tennessee basketball team or the volunteers. The the female the the women's basketball team are the lady volunteers. So do women get to say, hey, we object to the term lady on top of that because we're women. We feel that women have been a marginalized group. There's been this glass ceiling. Why do you make the distinction? Again, I, I think you have to look at what is really offensive and what isn't. And I'm hoping McGuanago does not follow the Cleveland Indians, and drop the nickname. Back with more in just a minute. And this is Jeff Wagner. One of our texters makes the point that I was making at the beginning of the conversation. Jeff, if 100 people who live on Indian reservations, and by the way, that that's, that is not a pejorative term. That is how... The that is how they are referred to. They are Indian reservations as a matter of federal law. If 100 people who live on Indian reservations were polled, which again goes to my point about how Indians is not in and of itself an offensive term. And I don't think most people, including most Native Americans, I don't think they find that to be offensive. But if 100 people who live on an Indian reservation were polled, how many would care about the term Indians, Braves, Warriors, or Chiefs? They've got plenty of other problems on their reservations that they could really use help with. And I guess that was the underlying point here. If you want to look at 
I, and that's why I started off the conversation by saying, oh, well, well, the the sun has now come up. Life for all the different issues that Native Americans have in this country, it's now gotten a lot better because Cleveland's going to change the name of the baseball team. Now, it, it, this is one of these things that might make some lefties sort of feel good. Oh, isn't this wonderful? We're kind and understanding without doing anything that addresses all the very real problems that that exist on, you know, Native American reservations, whether it's long-term unemployment or lack of medical resources or drug abuse or what you fill in the blank, you know, inappropriate healthcare, inappropriate healthcare, lack of it, a lack of educational opportunities, all these different things. This conversation just, I, I think we, we lose, uh, for every ounce of energy we spend talking about, gee, should somebody be offended by the nickname Indians or Braves or Chiefs? We, we move away for, from things that do absolutely nothing. We dwell on stuff that does absolutely nothing to make one person's life better. Uh, let's see, I got a couple texts here. You know, Jeff, um, Leinenkugels is, Leinenkugels is, um, Bending and, you know, they're making their changes. Yes, Line and Kugels um, is definitely doing that. You know, of course, you have the other stuff. You have Land of Lakes, the, the margarine and butter. For years and years, you know, they've had the the um, the lady in the headdress. Can you say Indian headdress? The lady in the headdress, and, and they're moving away from that. All these different types of things, which are, again, an acknowledgement and a nod to political correctness, but don't do one thing to, number one, make, you know, people's lives any sort of any better at all. And, and number two, distract, I think, from the discussion of, you know, what do we really need? And three, don't recognize history. This idea that, gee, you look at uh, the the lady on the Land of Lakes butter thing and, and oh, you know, that, that that's the stereotypical thing and people should be offended by it. Nobody in real world. World is offended by this. Maybe somebody, the politically correct and the perpetually offended, maybe somebody somewhere. But you know, most people just understand that. Oh, okay, th- this is this is it. Where do we draw the line? We're not going to be able to have the ma- movie Major League anymore. You know, all the old John Wayne westerns are. Are we not going to be able to watch them anymore? Okay, when we come back, is there a doctor in the house, and what does that mean? Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I love this story. Controversy involving the, the Wall Street Journal and the, the Biden administration, Team Biden, and their, their efforts at invoking the cancel culture. Now, let me back into this. When I was in high school, I dated a gal, and her dad was a professor at Marquette University in the business school and it, it wasn't he wasn't just a professor he he was uh, you know ultimately ended up as being the head of the business school and and he had his doctorate and so everybody would refer to him as doctor so and so and i remember now i'm in high school and when i thought of this i, I didn't I, when I think of doctors, I think, hey, you're going to the doctor. You're going to get a shot. Hey, doc, I've got this rash here. And then I get, I think that's when I first learned that, well, no, there's different kinds of doctors. There, there's, there's doctors who are doctors of medicine, but there's also doctors in academia. And the way it works is when, when you go to college, you get your undergraduate degree. And then if you choose to go on, you, you get your master's degree. And then if you choose to go on, you can get your doctorate. You know, you write your thesis and, and do those sort of things. And it, and it takes a couple of years to do it. For example, I have, I, I went to law school. I graduated from law school. I have a Juris Doctorate. Now, lawyers 
who are some of the most um, self-absorbed as a collective. Lawyers can tend to be some of the most self-absorbed people in the world. And lawyers don't call themselves doctors. But but the, in truth, you know, if, if you went to law school, you got your Juris Doctorate. In, in many cases, it probably took you longer to get that degree than somebody who um, got their master's degree and got their doctorate. But lawyers don't call themselves doctorate doctors because, well, it just kind of sounds odd. So nowadays, you have all these people who call themselves doctors, and, and they're they're they are technically but they're not medical doctors now this gets a little bit confusing because over the the course of the last year or so since we've been dealing with the pandemic you have lots of people who've been making medical have been making decisions based on public health that aren't really medical doctors for example anthony fauci he's a medical doctor right um uh you know uh, dr burke she's a medical doctor um but the 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 woman who works for tony evers andrea palm she's a doctor but she's not a medical doctor um the the woman who was running uh in milwaukee the, the health department she was a doctor but she wasn't a medical doctor they have degrees they have doctorates but their doctorates are in uh, again public health sort of stuff now the reason they get referred to as doctors is it's on the one hand, it, it's actually technically accurate. And secondly, I, I think a lot of people hear this and it gives them credibility because people are thinking, oh, we're making public health decisions and they're, they're, this is a doctor. It's a medical doctor. And, and they're not. And, but that's just kind of the way it, it ends up working. Because lots of people, again, use that, that term doctor. Well, okay, on Saturday, there was an opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal written by a guy named Joseph Epstein, who is a professor at Northwestern University. And um, he, the, the, it's called, Is There a Doctor in the White House? Not if you need an MD. And he says, Jill Biden should think about dropping the honorific, which feels fraudulent, even comic. Um, I'll read you the first paragraph or two. Madam First Lady, Mrs. Biden, Jill, kiddo, a bit of advice on what might seem like a small, but I think not unimportant matter. Any chance you might drop the doctor before your name? Dr. Jill Biden sounds and feels fraudulent, not to say a touch comic. Your degree, I believe, is a doctorate in education earned at the University of Delaware through a dissertation with the uncom- unpromising title, Student Retention at the Community College Level Meeting Students needs. A wise man once said that no one should call himself doctor unless he has delivered a child. Think about it, Dr. Jill, and forthwith drop the doc. It goes on to say, I taught at Northwestern University for 30 years without a doctorate or any advanced degree. I have only a BA in abstentia from the University of Chicago in abstentia because I took my final examination on a pool table at headquarters company Fort Hood, Texas, while serving in the Army in the late 1950s. I do have an honorary, do- honorary doctorate, though I have to report that the president of the school that awarded it was fired the year after I received it. I had not, for I hope, allowing my honorary doctorate. So, okay, so then he goes on to just say, you know, when people hear doctor, it, it's kind of, I don't know, prepossessing and that, you know, we, we throw those terms around and, and maybe it should really be restricted to people who actually use that being medical doctors. Well, after he wrote this, all you know what broke loose. I have reams and reams of articles. New York Times, Washington Post, not to mention Twitter, USA Today, ripping 
the Wall Street Journal for writing this piece, ripping this guy. For example, the headline in the Chicago Tribune, Wall Street Journal opinion editor defends item on Jill Biden. Um, and then, you know, it talks about how they're just getting ripped for being, um, again, racist or misogynistic, sexist, etc., etc. So today... In the Wall Street Journal, there is a piece. It's called The Biden Team Strikes Back, and it's written by Paul Jago, who's a Wisconsin guy, who's the editor of the Wall Street Journal opinion page. Um, This is how it starts. Joe Biden says it's time to heal America's divisions after the Trump presidency, and the Wall Street Journal has praised him for doing so. Presumably, he intends less rancor with the press as part of this mandate. But on that score, my run-in with the Biden team this weekend was very... Trumpian. He says, the catalyst was our Saturday op-ed by Joseph Epstein. Is there a doctor in the White House? Not if you need an MD. Mr. Epstein, a longtime contributor, criticized the habit of people with PhDs or other doctorates calling themselves doctor as highfalutin, using Jill Biden as Exhibit A. Mr. Epstein can be acerbic, and his piece began, Madam First Lady, Mrs. Biden, Jill Kiddo, etc., etc., um, this has triggered a flood of media and Twitter criticism, including demands that I, this is Paul Jago, the editor of the Wall Street Journal, editorial page, that I retract the piece, apologize personally to Mrs. Biden, ban Mr. Epstein for all time, and resign and think upon my sins. The complaints began as a trickle but became a torrent after the Biden media team elevated Mr. Epstein's work in what was clearly a political strategy. Mrs. Biden's press spokesperson, Michael LaRosa, issued a tweet early in the afternoon. Uh, The Wall Street Journal should be embarrassed to print the disgusting and sexist attack on Dr. Biden. If you had any respect for women at all, you would remove this repugnant display of chauvinism from your paper and apologize to her. Elizabeth Alexander, soon to be First Lady's communications director, also chimed in. Sexist and shameful. Be better, Wall Street Journal. Mrs. Alexander called me after her tweet to register her disapproval personally, which is fine. Her job is to flack for her boss, and part of my job is to listen to complaints. We had a frank exchange of views, as the diplomats say, and I invited her to send a letter for publication. Meanwhile, Team Biden continued to push the sexist theme. Doug Emhoff, husband of Kamala Harris, tweeted, Dr. Biden earned her degree through hard work and pure grit. She is an inspiration to me, to her students and Americans across the country. This would have never been written about a man. All right. Then he goes on to write. And this is what I found to be really interesting. Why go to such lengths to highlight a a single op-ed on a relatively minor issue? My guess is that Team Biden concluded it was a chance to use the big gun of identity politics to send a message to critics as it prepares to take power. There's nothing like playing the race or gender card to stifle criticism. It's the left's version of Donald Trump's enemy of the people tweets. The difference is that when Mr. Trump rants against the press, the press mobilizes an opposition. In the case, this case, the Biden team was able to mobilize almost all of the press to join in denouncing Mr. Epstein and the Wall Street Journal. Then it goes on. I'll send a link out on Twitter. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's what's interesting to me about this story. Now, you can, I think, argue 
whether or not the, the term doctor gets thrown around too loosely and whether it is a bit pretentious for people who have doctorates outside of medicine to, to dwell on calling themselves doctors. Okay, you, you, you can argue about that one way or the other. I guess it, it's just it's something that's been there and, and is around. What I think is interesting is the argument, though, that in this particular column, because they use Jill Bi- the guy used Jill Biden as the example for, gee, you know, unless you've delivered a baby, we, we shouldn't call you doctor. Suddenly it becomes it becomes sexist. It becomes misogynistic. It becomes offensive. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I, I found the Wall Street Journal's response to, to be really interesting as well. They're saying, hey, hey, look, I mean, th- this is the cancel culture at work. And this is the Biden team sending this message that, that how dare you, you criticize us. And, and if you do, we're going to come back at you. We're going to play the race card. We're going to play the gender card. We're going to invoke the cancel culture. You should resign. The guy should be fired. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Was this an overreaction to the opinion piece by suggesting that, hey, you know, we shouldn't use the term doctor to refer to people who really aren't medical doctors? All right. Is that... Is that sexist? Is that offensive? And again, you can agree or disagree. Like I say, it, it's been, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's been around forever. But but is this something that we should be this worked up about? And that if it wasn't Jill Biden, oh, there's no way they would have written the article. 855-616-1620, we discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. I admit I am fascinated by this conversation. Again, it, it I don't care what Joe Biden calls herself. She's got a doctorate. She she so and people with doctorates call themselves doctors, and people I think sometimes assume that they're medical doctors. And uh, I, it, to me, that doesn't make any difference. The guy from the Wall Street Journal says, "Hey, this is getting overused. She should set an example and drop it." Then he's immediately accused of being sexist and misogynistic. I, I think there's a disconnect with that. I think you can have the discussion about, you know, is the is the term doctor for people who have doctorates outside of medicine overused? But then it's immediately, okay, we're we're going to invoke the cancel culture, and here th- this is how dare you attack Jill Biden? Well, I don't know. If it's an attack on Jill Biden as much as it's okay. Are we over? using this and to some extent are we creating false impressions when you hear for example like health officials who are making you know medical sort of determinations and public health things and they call themselves doctors and yeah they got a doctorate but it's not a medical doctor 855-616-1620 let's talk to marcus on the north side hi marcus hey jeff how are you doing today on this monday morning or afternoon i am well what do you, what do you think uh, I, I think that uh, there's nothing to see here, as you would say, as we both would agree. Uh, if, if that's what she wants to be called, uh, that's her every right. It, it's not like she's saying that she's something other than that's not real. And so there are other things to focus on. I mean, if she earned that right to, to be called that, and, and just like Dr. Fauci or mm-hmm. what have you, we can go down the list there, or, or Dr. Uh, uh the Burks, if that's her name, mm-hmm. if that's what they want to be called, we need to respect that situation 
uh, with the woman, and and that and that that that's what they want to well, be called. What about There's the no what? Shame. No, but no, there, there's no shame. But what about the base? If, if the basic point of the guy's article is we should only call people who are medical doctors doctors. To, to, to use Jill Biden as an example to make that point, is, is that sexist? As long as he's saying, hey, look, because I, I, the, the way I read the column, he's saying, hey, everybody that calls themselves doctors, unless you deliver a baby, you shouldn't use that term. Well, I think it's, it's, been, it, 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 it's being used because it, it, it's Biden. It's a political year. It, it, it's only a political pawn, and that's the only reason why they're bringing that up. Other than that, they would have they, they they've never heard if Biden and his wife would never be on the the face of the, uh, the, the the social media and everything. They would not have an issue with that. And there again, you, you get uh, people that live in glass houses should not uh, throw bricks because if you want to get into Trump's wife, then that's a whole another story. You get what I'm saying? So they should leave Pandora's box closed because because the, the Democrats certainly could have got into that messy swamp. And would you agree with that? Don't throw. Uh, I, I, I don't. I don't. I, I don't know what. I have no idea what you're talking about with Mrs. Trump. <laughs> to be honest, I, I completely lost me on on, on that one. Um, she's not calling herself doctor. I guess I, the thing that I find to be the most interesting about this story is the fact that you you have this incredible blowback that the the guy writes this piece. Too many people call themselves doctors, and and now it's like, oh, th- this is this is sexist. How dare you and and exec implement that criticism i i don't care if people call themselves doctors if they've got the doctorate now i do think sometimes there, there should be asterisks and again if you're dealing with for example the public health people i think it should be made clear that when they're making pronouncements about public health that it it's they're not medical doctors because there is a distinction now that may or may not give them less credibility when they're talking about for example how you react to the pandemic um, and, and people can decide that for themselves. But I thought the blowback on, on this was interesting. 855-616-1620. Lucy on the West Side. Hi, Lucy. Hi, Jeff. I don't think we read the same column. I've been subscribing to the Wall Street Journal for about 12 years now. I almost canceled my subscription before I read any of the other blowback. If you didn't spot the misogyny, chauvinism, and patronizing nature of that column, I don't know what you were reading. It was terrible, and it was it was an attack on Jill Biden. It was deliberate. Paul G. Go knew exactly what he was doing when he published that. Epstein is an 83-year-old crank who was fired from the American Scholar because the board couldn't stand him anymore. He doesn't have a Ph.D. He may have been a professor, but he never got further than a master's no, degree. No, but, but he says that in a column. And he says whole, that in his column. I mean, he says, I'm, I, I taught at Northwestern yeah, for 30 years. But the whole tone of it was chauvinistic and misogynistic, and I'm with the women on this one. And I usually, I don't believe in cancel culture, and I let a lot of stuff pass by, but not that. Furthermore, he set up a straw person in that he compared her degree to people using honorific degrees, you know, honorary degrees. Like Bill Cosby, Charlie Rose, and others. Yeah, that was totally unfair, conflated the issues. He talked about her dissertation dismissively as an unpromising title when I thought it was pretty important what she was writing about. Um, I don't cancel Joe, Joe Epstein if you don't want to. Frankly, I'm never going to read another thing he writes. And I suppose I'll keep subscribing to the Wall Street Journal for the financial news, but 
Um, again, this was a deliberate provocation by Epstein and by Paul Gigo, who wants to pick a fight with the Bidens. Is it, sex, is it sexist to do that? Is it sexist to huh? do that if he wants to pick a fight with the yes. Bidens? Because, he, because he's he picking a fight, pick with... a fight with Jill Biden. Okay. He wants to pick a fight with Jill Biden to denigrate her as the incoming first lady. If he wants to pick a fight with Jill Biden, do you, do you get to pick a fight with Jill Biden without it being sexist? I mean, you can might say this is a cheap shot. I think it's unfair. But if you attack her and you say you think this was unfair, and that's okay, we'll accept that for the moment. Is is that automatically sexist, or is it just that that he's he's trying to pick a fight with the Biden family? I think he's trying. It's it's sexist. Because he would never have attacked a man that way. Well, I don't know. I really do not believe he would have. He didn't attack Dr. Martin Luther King or Dr. Stephen Gorka. Well, I mean, Dr. Martin Luther so King is, isn't coming into the White House now. Thanks for call. I mean, I guess, I guess here, here's the question mo- moving forward. Again, I, I don't have any problems with people calling themselves doctor and things like that. But, but here is the question moving forward. If you decide, in the case of our caller Lucy, that you want to pick an attack with somebody, you want to pick a fight with somebody, and you pick a fight with 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 Joe Biden or with Kamala Harris or and because there's going to be all sorts of opinion writers that I, I think probably try to pick fights with them. OK, does, does that mean is it is it sexist? Is it misogynistic? Because, gee, I, I'm attacking Kamala Harris because I I don't like some of the things she did when she was a prosecutor in San Francisco or I don't like her, her votes here. Or is this with the cancel culture when it's somebody on the left? Do you you, you get a pass? No, if you attack them, it's got to be because you're sexist. In any event, I'm going to send out links to the original column. You can read it and decide, and I'll also send out a link to the response by the Wall Street Journal editor. If you want to see all the criticism, it's not hard to do. You just Google it. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. If you follow me on Twitter, I, I sent out a, a, a note. It, it, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. You can follow me on Twitter. But there was a um, this morning as I was getting ready for the show, I, I saw in the, on the local newspaper's website they had a, a pictorial thing with uh, reporter Meg Jones and pictures of all the different things she had done. And and I, I actually the way it was phrased initially, I thought she she had retired. And this was kind of a tribute to her. And then it, it turns out that. Um, no, she had actually passed away. The the thing that got my attention, I've got a link to the story, is that uh, second paragraph, she was 58 and just last month was diagnosed with metastatic pancreatic cancer. 58 and, and gets this diagnosis one month ago. I That kind of, it, it kind of hits home and I just, I, I wanted to make a comment about it. I, 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 I was I knew Meg Jones. Um, we weren't close friends or anything like that. But um, she actually started in uh, in Shawano. I think her, one of her first newspapers was the Shawano Evening Leader. And when I started in the U.S. Attorney's Office in the 80s, one of my first assignments was handling the felony prosecutions in the Menominee Indian Reservation, which is right outside of Shawano. So we we always kind of had that little little bit of a bond. Um, she you know, was embedded with troops and did a lot of troop-related things. And I am, it's my great honor to, to do a lot of stuff with veterans groups and things like that. So occasionally we would run into each other at events. But we, we weren't close or anything, but I, I thought she did a great job. But So I, I was shocked when you see this, you know, the, the line that caught my attention is she was 58 and last month was diagnosed with metastatic pancreatic cancer. Now, that that kind of really hits home for me because I think, for those of you who know my story, um, 
My first wife passed away at the age of 59 after a surprise diagnosis of stage four liver cancer. That was, I mean, I still remember May of 2015, um, my first wife's name was Sue, you know, comes home and says, you know, I just haven't been feeling right lately. And I, I just, I'm a little bit nauseous. I think I've got an ulcer or something. You go to the doctor and then, you know, one CT scan later, 24 hours later, you get this diagnosis saying, well, you've got terminal liver cancer and we think you have a month to live. Now, in, in our case, who lived a, a year, and um, it was just kind of an, an interesting year. I, I think, you know, having gone through that certainly made me a better husband and I think a better person because you 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 understand, you know, what's important and, and what's not important in life. You know, people bicker and fight about things. Well, once you're dealing with something like this, you, you, you don't argue about, you know, who left crumbs in the sink or, or things like that. You kind of concentrate on the bigger stuff. But it's it's just... It's just when you think everything's going great, life comes around and just hits you like a ton of bricks. And and this is the story. I mean, Meg Jones, a month ago, gets diagnosed with metastatic pancreatic cancer. And and I mean, as let me let me tell you, I I still vividly remember that this awful week back in 2015 when we we're going through tests. And the only good news we got that week is that it wasn't pancreatic. The cancer that Sue had hadn't spread to the pancreas and stuff like that. But the, the bottom line is stories like this really resonate with me when you hear it. And it it reminds me, um, kind of my, my basic philosophy is that, you know, life is short, and it really is. And when I say that, I'm not encouraging people to be irresponsible or anything like that. But, but life really is short. You know, the late John Lennon, I'm not sure he originated it, but he was famous for saying, you know, life is what happens when you make plans, when you, while you're making plans. And then all of a sudden, you've got all these plans, and they find that they just don't come to fruition because this is that and that's happened. So it, it's... It, it's one of those things that whenever you hear these stories that kind of come out of the blue and, and maybe you've been affected by something like this in, in your own life, it, it does, I think, make you take a step back and concentrate on what are the, what are the things that are important. And to me, it, it's just a reminder when I see stories like this that life is short and you, you really, it, it's, it's too short to sweat the small stuff. And at the end of the day, Almost everything is small stuff. So, um, again, um, I, I only knew Meg Jones casually, but um, she touched a lot of lives. And this is just another one of these examples. The, the other point coming from this is is something that you can't say enough, which is that cancer sucks. It just absolutely does. So for people that are, are dealing with cancer diagnosis, whether short-term, long-term, or or whatever, you know, collectively, our hearts are, are with you. And I think it, again, you, when, when you get frustrated with, gee, I, I just, I, I'm upset with my kid, or my wife and I had this fight, or, you know, I got really mad at my boss or my coworker or whatever, I, I think it, it is always important to kind of offer some perspective and kind of take a step back and say, okay, am I really going to remember this two or three days from now or a week or two from now? And again, life is short. And the only advice I could give is just don't sweat the small stuff. And at the end of the day, most of it is, in fact, small stuff. Meg Jones, rest in peace. Sail on. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
Here's a text, Jeff. This whole thing resonates with me as well. My mom died of pancreatic cancer in 1987, two months and one day after her diagnosis. My sister also died of pancreatic cancer in June of 2019. In the back of mind, I wonder when I'll succumb to it as well. Not enough research goes into this lethal cancer yet. No, no cancer is good. No, no cancer is good, but some are are much worse than others and stage four liver cancer is is really bad pancreatic cancer is really bad but you know one of the things i seriously wonder about this last year with the pandemic and people delaying medical procedures and checkups and things like that you you just you just hope that there's not going to be people who because they didn't go and see their doctor or because the hospitals weren't open for treatments and stuff ended up you know delaying procedures and stuff wasn't discovered we're not going to know that for for the the effect for years probably but the bottom line is um i think some of us delay going to the doctor because we just you know you you don't want to know something just doesn't feel right but you just you know but i'm just going to ignore it well i don't know you always wonder whether if you had gone and you'd had those checkups you you if you'd been more aggressive about this or that or the other thing could they have caught something earlier and it it, trust me it's one of those things that just kind of keeps you up at night but bottom line is um bottom line is go see your doctor get checked out and um live a long and hopefully happy life. All right, let us completely and totally switch gears. The Department of Health Services of Wisconsin, which has been steering us through the pandemic, they're giving us a warning for Christmas. Now, this warning isn't about don't travel over the holidays. They're already saying that. And it's not, you know, about the you know social distance and the wearing the masks. No, no, this is something else. Officials with the Wisconsin Department of Health Services are warning against... The so-called cannibal sandwich, which is, of course, a Wisconsin holiday tradition. Um, the Wisconsin Historical Society describes a cannibal sandwich as raw, lean ground beef served on bread, especially rye cocktail bread, with sliced onions, lots of salt, and lots of pepper. The Wisconsin Historical Society, and I'm, this story is Channel 6 had it on their website, said these sandwiches have traditionally been served at holiday parties and other festive gatherings in Milwaukee. Um, they, they've been a part of, again, it's kind of ethnic, the German and Polish and other ethnic communities since the 19th century. And again, it, it used to be very common to see the, these the, the raw beef sandwiches at wedding receptions and meals following funerals and Christmas and New Year's Eve parties and things like that. Um, state health officials are saying you shouldn't eat raw beef. It should always be cooked to 160 degrees, and eating raw meat is never recommended because of the bacteria it can um, contain. And no matter how good the meat is that you get or where you buy the meat, you're always um, you're taking a risk that there's going to be really nasty bacteria in it. Uh, the Department of Health Services say that there's been eight outbreaks linked to raw ground beef since 1986, including a large salmonella outbreak involving more than 150 people in December of 1994. So, all right, I, I want to confess this. I've never been a cannibal sandwich guy. I, I've never been the, the raw beef kind of guy. Gru? Uh, okay, Wausau, are you, are you a raw beef guy? No, and I actually was unfamiliar with this until my college years, but I... Until this morning, never heard the the term um, cannibal sandwich before. Raw beef, yeah. Or, well, I know it's raw beef, but I always heard it from as being called wildcat. Then I never heard that. Yeah, and, and so like that's what 
I always referred it to. So when I heard uh, in, in, in the morning cannibal sandwich, I'm like, what on earth are you even talking about? And well, then it's it's wildcat. Right. Well, the, well, the fancy term is steak tartare. That that's that's it as well. If so, if you see that on a menu at a high priced restaurant, it it it's it's raw. It's a raw beef sandwich and stuff. No, I, I've never I've never been interested in either. In part, again, because in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, you know, eat, consuming raw things, you know, raw meat in particular, just just can't be that good. All right. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Right, The Department of Health Services says, okay, knock this off. You know, you, you, you should not be eating these things. You can get sick. There, there's, there's probably a lot of truth to that when you think about it. All right, are you going to change your habits? All right, are, are the cannibal sandwiches, the raw beef sandwiches, the wildcats? All right, the wildcats. Have, have they been part of your holiday menu, and are you thinking about changing them? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We don't serve them at the Wagner household, and I, I doubt that we're going to start, but I do understand it's it's a big part of a lot of people's holiday celebrations. All right, will this continue this year? Back with more in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. And this is Jeff Wagner. I, I had a friend um, who passed away a couple of years ago. His last name was Shepke, John Shepke, big German family. And I, I remember at his place, his parents' house over the holidays, they, they always had the, the raw beef sandwiches, and he, he couldn't get enough of them. Tom in Hartford. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Tom. Uh, yeah, I've been eating it probably since I'm 15 years old, part of the time when I was at home, and then I got married. We're married 58 years. My wife and me, every New Year's Eve, we have sit down and have rye bread and raw beef and onions, and it's the best thing you can have. It, okay. I'm going to be 80 years old. I, I am 80 years old. Uh, I, are now, are you particular about the type of raw beef that you use? I mean, does it have to be a certain kind? Well, no. It's got, well, it's got to be ground, ground. Uh, I think okay. it's, they call it ground sirloin. Okay. All right, and good. And I get it at a reputable place. you got to get it at a reputable place. Like, I get Big Wiggly. Okay. And it's very good. I just love it. I can't <laughs> wait till uh, New Year's Eve. <laughs> okay, th- thanks to call. So so you're not going to be paying attention to Dr. Andrea Palm and the Department of Health Services. Nick in Germantown. Nick, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? Hi, Nick. What do you think? Well, <clears throat> I have at least one every year. Um, I Well, I can't really stomach more than one every year. But, uh, um, yeah, I don't – I think everybody who eats them knows that they're eating raw beef, and they, if they're smart enough, they know that there is a chance that they, you know, something bad could happen. But at the same time, it's just, it's a tradition, and, you know, most people have been doing it their whole lives. Yeah, and, and they're willing to take the chance. No, th- thanks for calling. No, I think you're, you're on to something. Craig and Beaver Dam. Craig, you're on WTMJ. Hey, on your sister station out here, BEV. Right. Uh, they brought it up. Everyone out here is going to keep eating them. We love them. <laughs> It's ground sirloin. Yeah. You don't overdo it, but you enjoy it, and it tastes dynamite, Jeff. <laughs> well, there you go. Now, thanks. It always looks good. I mean, thanks. It, 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 the stuff always looks good to me. Just in the back of my mind, I keep thinking, huh, I don't know. How healthy could this be? Jeff, I never heard of raw beef until I moved to Wisconsin. Went to a house on Christmas. They had a plate of mounded raw hamburger and onions. All I thought, hey, we're making burgers tonight. Um, Nah. But uh, let's see. Then. 
that's you know then, then it goes on to that uh jeff i'll be fine i'll wear my mask while i eat my raw beef sandwich um steak tartare cannibal sandwiches raw beef has been common for me from shawano to lacrosse to southeastern wisconsin my entire life i'm not a fan though i've been concerned about the risks since uh the second time i saw it sitting in a hot sun on the picnic table along the black river in lacrosse um yes gross jeff gross i saw it at a party no way after a while it was not as red and it just looked really gross um jeff fresh ground sirloin won't kill you it's the jägermeister that will chasing that down uh pete noconomwalk jeff you'll never take my cannibal sandwiches without prying them from my cold dead hands uh, channeling charlton heston there i grew up on it it's synonymous with wisconsin and i will continue to eat it until the day I die. Jeff, I love it, but it's got to be ground sirloin from a reputable butcher shop um, on baby rye with plenty of onions, lots of salt, and pepper. Well, you've got that going there. Uh, Jeff, the best recipe for cannibal sandwiches I know is to cook them to medium on the grill. You know, actually, um, somebody texted and said, Oh, how to eat your hamburgers? Well, I, I mean, the, the the recommendation you get nowadays for hamburgers is medium to medium well, and I that's I, I like stuff medium well in general. Look, I I'm not about telling you not. I think it's like everything in moderation, and I guess I I'm, I understand that people can get sick from this, but you can get sick from eating undercooked chicken. You can get sick from eating undercooked pork. Um, there's all sorts of things that are out there. You can get sick from eating bad fish. I'm not saying you make a diet of it, but at the same time, it it is. Is a Wisconsin tradition, and my guess is that people are still going to continue to be willing to take the risk if you're one of those people that love the cannibal sandwiches, the tiger meat, all these people calling them things, or if you grew up in Wausau, like my producer, the wildcat, wildcat. So, you know, go, go figure, enjoy yourselves, and then we'll figure it all out later. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. All right, swamped with texts about the raw beef and onion discussion. The number of people are saying, well, I mean, how about sushi? People love to eat sushi. Now, I am not a sushi guy either, so I'm consistent with that. My producer, Gru, loves good sushi, but not, not bad sushi. Well, I like it all, but if I'm in the mood for nice sushi, I think that's what people like to think as the raw fish. But if you go to a sushi joint and you get cheap stuff, like what, like what you would call the, like the default easy a sushi, one to. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, a sushi joint. Okay, there, there, there's no way I'm going to a, a sushi joint. Gee, I wonder why I got sick afterwards. So I went to the sushi joint, well, the, the all you can eat buffet there with the raw stuff. There's there's different Asian specialty places. You can go to a place that specializes in ramen, a place that specializes right. in sushi, whatever. But if I were to go to a sushi place and expect really good sushi, that is what the the raw fish comes right. from but if i wanted to order like a the cheap default sushi roll which they call the california roll that's imitation crab that's not even real crab meat so it's mm-hmm. not even raw it's not even real um so it depends on your definition of sushi or or, or the what, what what the umbrella what goes under the umbrella there well i i look i i freely acknowledge i have um, my, my brother and, and several friends who, who really enjoy sushi and 
I'm the one that kind of says, "Okay, well, you you guys go there. I'll 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 stop off at I'll hit I'll hit Culver's and I'll I'll meet you afterwards and I, stuff." I will say it it is definitely now that I think about it an acquired taste because I think right. I had to go at it uh, like a number of, like about a handful of times before it actually clicked. I'm saying, you know, I actually kind of enjoy this. Before it was sort of like the eating, texture eating and stuff, at, yeah, or like eating it as a dare as like a challenge with friends that kind of thing where there's. Not really, you know, whatever. But I enjoy but, it a lot more. Well, now. I understand those acquired tastes. Um, um, martinis for me are an acquired taste, and and I, you know, I mean, I I, I acquired it. I mean, I, I like martinis, but I I freely acknowledge like the the first couple times it's like explain to me why I'm drinking this, and now I I like them before a big steak dinner or something that that by the way is cooked, not not raw, but you know, big big old steak. Yeah, and I'll have some like salmon or tuna like for the for like the sushi. But if someone wants me to try like eel. No, yeah. no thanks. Yeah, I just, I, I, I guess I just. <laughs> to me, you put it on the grill and you you let it there for a little while, and then that's just perfectly fine. But again, to 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 each their own. So maybe your Christmas tradition is, or your holiday tradition is, we're going to have that raw beef and onions, and then we're going to follow it up with some, I don't know, some raw eel or whatever. I sent out a text about this, uh, a tweet about this over the weekend, and again, you can follow me. It's at Wagner. It's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. It. Just when you thought the city of Milwaukee couldn't get any more screwed up, they, they, they do. The, at a time where crime is at an all-time high, homicides are going to, in all likelihood, set an all-time record. The, the Fire and Police Commission, which is a dysfunctional dumpster fire, who's been through executive directors and Fire and Police Commission, the, the only member of the Fire and Police Commission with actual law enforcement experience, uh, resigned because I'm paraphrasing, but essentially I think he thought it was just too crazy and too screwed up. And what they ended up doing is is they took the former police chief, Al Morales, who in my opinion was probably the best chief that they had had in decades, and they ran him out of, tail, out of town on a rail, figuratively speaking. Now, now there's a lawsuit, and the taxpayers of the city of Milwaukee, trust me, they're, they're going to end up having to write a very big check to Chief Morales. Um, how big a check, I, I don't exactly know, but it's going to be a big check. But the bigger problem is... You had a law and order police chief who got on the wrong side of some of the politically correct politicians who wanted to pander to some of the more extremist, anti-police, pro-criminal elements of the community. Well, how dare you say they're pro-criminal? Well, if, if you're anti-police, you know, the, the effect of that is to be pro-criminal. So they run Morales out of town on a rail. Okay, fine. And then they got to go about the job of replacing him. The acting police chief from inside the department, he says, I'll stay till December 23rd, then I'm gone. So at a time where you desperately need leadership, there's nobody running the show. So they conduct this nationwide search. They get all these applications. The Fire and Police Commission meets, and they get it down. Ultimately, they narrow it down to three candidates. Well, again, one of the members of the Fire and Police Commission, the only one with law enforcement experience, he, he steps down. So that leaves six commissioners, six commissioners, none who have any appreciable law enforcement experience. They can't decide. They're deadlocked on two. There's three finalists. One gets three votes. Another gets three votes. They say, okay, we'll come back a week later. One gets three votes. The other gets three votes. So we're waiting for a seventh member of the Fire and Police Commission to be appointed. Tom Tom Barrett nominates this woman who has spent a good part of the last couple years, at least, 
advocating for defunding slash abolishing police departments. So the person were, and, and this person who hasn't been part of the selection process, the if she is in fact appointed, her name is Amanda Avias, I think that's how you say it. You know, she hasn't been part of the interview process, hasn't been part of the selection at all. She will come in and presumably be the deciding vote. You know, it's like, how how more screwed up could this get? And, and by the way, we're putting somebody on the Fire and Police Commission who, again, has a history of advocating for defunding or abolishing police departments. Gee, that's just what the city of Milwaukee needs at this point in time. Whatever happened to finding people who might be pro-law enforcement? It might be, you know, here, here's what we have to do. We have to figure out how we're going to support our police, not how we're going to pander to elements of the community that want to defund the police or want to, you know, take away resources. Wouldn't it be interesting to have somebody on there who's actually an advocate for the people who are being victimized by the out of control crime in this community? But you got to understand, that's not the politically correct approach that we take in 2020 in urban areas. And as a result, we limp along with out-of-control homicides and with violent crime and with reckless driving, with all the things that affect the quality of life and make people just want to move out from a particular area. We're kind of embedding it into the, the structure. So I sent out a tweet about this. Uh, seriously, how crazy is it that Tom Barrett is nominating a woman to the Fire and Police Commission who will cast the deciding vote on the next police chief who's been advocating for defunding slash abolishing police departments? It's just, it's almost mind-blowing. You could not make this stuff up. Okay, when we come back, show me your app if you want to travel. I'll explain. We'll discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, the good news for today is that the, the first batch of vaccines are being rolled out and they're being administered. The, the bad news is that there's not going to be enough to go around to get everybody who wants to get vaccinated vaccinated until, I don't know, late spring, summer, maybe the fall. So it, it's still a ways away towards getting the, the idea of herd immunity. But at least, at least in my opinion, looks like we're kind of we're seeing light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm not saying we're not going to have problems with COVID moving forward. And I'm not saying there's not going to be over the next few months hospitalizations. And I'm certainly not saying people should let their guard down. I'm just saying big picture looks like it is getting better. And hopefully there's not going to be adverse reactions and things like that. So I want to revisit something we talked about a week or two ago because it's actually starting to play out in the real world. Right now, a lot of the world is locked down. If you, if, if you want to go on a cruise, and it's not happening as a practical matter. If you want to for, for pleasure purposes, as opposed to being an essential worker, if you want to travel from the United States to France, that's not happening. Heck, if you want to go back and forth between the United States and Canada, that, that, that's not happening unless you're some sort of, unless you're, you know, an essential worker or something like that. And it's probably not going to happen for a while. The idea that's floated around is that, um, once people get vaccinated and have gone through the process, and I know right now it's like two doses a few weeks apart, one of the things that's going to be around is people, they're calling them 
electronic vaccination credentials. Let me read you a portion of description of this from the New York Times. The advent of electronic vaccination credentials could have a profound effect on efforts to control the coronavirus and restore the economy. They could prompt more employers and college campuses to reopen. They might also give customers peace of mind, developers say, by creating an easy way for movie theaters, cruise ships, and sports arenas to admit only those with documented coronavirus vaccines. So what this is going to be, and it's already starting major airlines, including United, JetBlue, and Lufthansa, plan to introduce a health passport app called a Common Pass that will verify passengers' virus test results and vaccinations. The app will then issue confirmation codes enabling passengers to board certain international flights. It's just the start of a push for digital COVID-19 credentials that they think could be embraced by anywhere. So the idea being, you've gotten your vac- vaccinations. You Okay, the app you got the app, it registers. So when they do the barcode on the app, it says, yes, Jeff has gotten his two shots. He is vaccinated. So now Jeff can go to Milwaukee Brewers opening day because he's, he's been vaccinated. Jeff wants to go on the river cruise to Normandy next September desperately. Yes. So he's got the app. He's been vaccinated. You can travel internationally because you've got it. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this too, is this too big brothery? Or is this the way out? At least in the short term. Now, at some point in time, we're, we're, we're going to hopefully have herd immunity, but that's not going to be there for a while. So the question is, all right, would, would you get this app? And is this a good idea? And once you've had the shots, would you have a problem? Hey, I, I, I want to go to the Bucks game. I want to go to a Marquette game. I want to go to Summerfest. Boom. Here, I've got this app on my phone. It shows that I've got the vaccination. Boom. I can go in. Now, the flip side of it is if you don't have it, you know, maybe you're not going to be able to go in. Uh, Maybe they're going to say, okay, no, you're still, there's the risk that you could be exposed to this, so we're not going to let you in. But is this the way out of it? And would you, would you have a problem with it? Now, if you just make the decision you're not going to get the vaccine, then you're not going to get the app. That, that's, that, that's the downside. So at least in the short term, you might not be able to participate in this. Do you have a problem with any of that? 855-616-1620. I will tell you something. If it means that I can get back to normal, if it means that if I've got an international trip coming up, I can go on it, if it means I can go to the ball game, I've got no problems, number one, getting the vaccinations, and number two, putting the app on the phone so I can prove to people that I've had them. 855-616-1620. We discuss next. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. So here's a text. If you get the vaccine and it's effective like they say it's supposed to be, why should it matter to you if somebody else hasn't gotten the vaccine? Okay, well, but, but here's the point of, of, the, of the vaccine passport. The, the idea is... Summerfest. Summerfest doesn't want to be a super spreader event. So 
to go to Summerfest or to go to the ball game or, or whatever, you've got the passport, the, the app saying I've gotten vaccinated. So they only let you in, presumably, if, if you've been vaccinated. They only let you on the plane if you've got evidence that you've been vaccinated or you've had it or, or whatever, and you've got a degree of immunity. That way, people that are on the, that way you guarantee that you're not, you're not going to have a hundred people in the crowded plane who suddenly get it. 855-616-1620. Kathy in Waukesha. Kathy, good afternoon. Hey there. Hi, yeah, Kathy. I think this would be totally big brother and it would lead to, uh, this would be nothing compared to what, um, identification issues it could lead to. I'm reminded of the movie Gattaca which came out in about 1998 with Jude Law and Tom Cruise. Does anybody remember that? Um, what, I mean, the movie, well, but, but, nobody, but nobody's going to make you do it. You said it's big. But it's not like the government is forcing you. I mean, if you if, if you don't want to download the app and, and you don't want to be able to prove that you've been vaccinated, you, you don't have to. Now, it does mean you're probably not going to be able to go on that cruise and you're probably not going to be able to get on international flights for a while. But but it's you, you making that decision. Right. No, I understand that. I'm just saying um, what it's going to lead to. Um, here it's just admission on a plane or on a public event, but I think it can be used to track people and Mm -hmm. to allow or deny services or, you know, who knows what. Okay. Well, I'm, thanks. Okay. I'm just really not comfortable with it. Okay. Well, well I mean, and again, it, it's not like the government would make you do it, but I mean, here, here, it, here is the reality. It, I mean, right now we're shut down. You, you, you can't go to Paris. Okay. You, you, you can't go to France. You can't go to Canada unless you're an essential worker and you've got all these different things. As a condition of us being able to open up, I, I think that, you know, people are going to have to, I think this is a way to do it, to say, okay, here, I, I, I've been vaccinated. Now, again, if, if you don't care, if you don't care about getting on a plane and you don't care about, you know, going overseas or you don't care about going to a ball game, th- that's fine. Now, sooner, at some point in time, once you get to herd immunity, it's not going to be necessary. But I do think in the immediate future, and unlike like 2021, th- there's going to be limits on what we can do and where we can go. And the people that are going to have the broadest degree of freedom are the people who made the decision to get vaccinated. Lamar in Orlando. Hi, Lamar. You're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for uh, taking my call, Jeff. Yes, sir. Um, I think, I'm with you. I think, I think it's a great idea. Um, I was just in Columbia last month, and in order to get in, you needed a COVID test that was, you know, a negative COVID test taken within the last four days. Um, you needed, and, uh, you needed. There's a, a special electronic application you had to fill out to, in addition to the test before you got into the country and when you're leaving. And if you were traveling within the country, there was there's this COVID app that you had to have mm-hmm. that you had to put on your phone, um, that you had to present to the airport to get into the airport to travel within the country, you know, as well. And so this is just, in my opinion, it's a good idea if you want to move around. And it's like nobody wants to be locked down. And at the same time, there are people that are pushing against us, it, but it's like we have to pick pick a choice, you know, pick a pick a poison, as they say. Well, well, right, and and also, I mean, this it, I think it's kind of it. Hopefully, it's a short term sort of thing that once you get herd immunity, and it it doesn't make a difference. But at least for the next year, I guess I look at this and say, if this is something that makes it easier for us to reopen things 
and it, it makes it easier for us to go to ball games. I'm, I'm all, I'm all in favor of it. And if I've gotten vaccinated anyways, I don't care. I mean, if I've got this on my app here, 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 on app, here it is. And if it makes it easier for me to get on a plane and go to prayer and go to Paris, if I want to do that, I, I'm all, I'm with it 100%. Here, I've been vaccinated. Right. Another thing I want to point out is the thing that was is was has been frustrating to me over these past over these months is that like on one hand everyone's saying we don't, we don't want to lock down. On the other hand, they say they don't, they don't want to take the precautions, and then it's like we're, we're going to have the same argument moving forward post you know post vaccine right. uh, rollout. It's right. like I mean you can't have both. No, thanks. Okay, so I have a note here. Uh, Lamar says so. In other words, you're okay with discrimination. Well, I, we we always discriminate against things. Yeah, I mean, you know, some I, some people like chocolate ice cream better. Some people like you know vanilla ice cream better. People discriminate and make choices all the time. the The only question is, you know, the the only thing is that it, you know, you you can in fact discriminate. It's just that you can't do it for an illegal purpose. And and in this particular situation, I don't see that it's the illegal purpose. If you don't want to get vaccinated, that that's fine. But understand that until herd immunity comes in there will be limitations on what you can do because of that decision you've made it's just a consequence of the decision similarly for people who've been vaccinated and can't get it can't give it all right it no longer becomes there there's no longer a reason that says that you can't be in large groups because you can't get it you can't give it so it doesn't make any sense to say you you can't go and sit next to people at Miller Park if they also are vaccinated and they also can't get it or give it so it's it's really is it discrimination in that the people who are vaccinated get additional privileges to the people who don't? Well, well, I guess, but there's a rational basis behind it. And the, the bottom line is, well, if you want to avoid it, just, just get yourself vaccinated. Now, I do agree for that small percentage of people for whom there are health issues and so they decide they don't want to do it. You got to figure out how to work that out. But, but for them, they're not going to be going to ball games anyways. Right now, let's take a quick break. Then we'll find out what John and Melissa have on their minds. 